Hello, welcome to The Quest. My name is Alan Mulhern. First, some announcements. As you may be aware, the Quest lecture series, as distinct from the podcast series, which will be an online provision through Zoom, will be starting on January the 28th and will run through eight months of the year on the last Saturdays of the month. And the programme for 2023 is now clarified and the syllabus is as follows. January the 28th, the subject is, Is the West Really in Decline? February the 25th, Is Jungian Psychology Trapped in the Mind of Young? What does it offer our age? March the 25th, What are the main threats to humanity in the 21st century? May the 27th, when did the modern mind arrive? I didn't mean that to sound like a train schedule. Exploration of Ice Age art and cave paintings. June the 24th, climate catastrophe. Is it all hot air? September the 30th, culture wars, wokery and political correctness. October the 28th, what is the problem with China? And November the 25th, is a global spiritual vision the crucial ingredients to save humanity? These will be lectures lasting around an hour and a half, followed by questions and room for discussion, with ample material sent to participants in advance. It has a very reasonable cost attached to it, and for more information you can contact Alan Mulhern, myself, at thepilgrimquest at gmail.com or you can get the contact details from my website, alamulhern.com. Next, on January the 3rd, there begins the Secret of the Golden Flower Meditation Programme, more information of which at the end of this episode. Finally, there will be a change in the frequency of these podcast episodes. Instead of every three weeks, they will be once a month around the mid-month period, say the 15th. I'll be taking January off, so they will start on February the 15th. Now, instead of our usual very serious episode contents, and seeing it is Christmas and the coming of the new year, I thought to talk once again about the secret of the golden flower, since it offers hope and meaning in times of crisis. Throughout the whole history of China, for example, this has been the case, and this applies to the modern world also. Although the collective, civilization or society at large, is in serious difficulties, it is possible for us as individuals to experience the light that is within us and find our true centre. In fact, it is highly advisable that we do so. The secret of the golden flower offers a wonderful and poetic meditation program which is full of helpful and beautiful images, metaphors and symbols. I should like to tell you firstly about the origins and history of the book and then to explain how it still has valuable connections to our own times. Then I should like to mention as simply as I can what are the most valuable teachings that it has which are relevant to our individual quests for personal development and individuation.
So let us begin with the origins and history of the text of the Secret of the Golden Flower. Clearly, the fundamental source is the Taoist tradition. For example, in the Four Scriptures of the Yellow Emperor, it is explained that regulating the heart within brings order without. In order to reign, one must reduce oneself, abandoning emotions, drying up like a corpse, never allowing oneself to be carried away. As according to the myth, the Yellow Emperor himself engaged during his three years of refuge on Mount Boang in order to find himself. The Yellow Emperor is supposed to have lived 2,600 years ago. This practice of meditation creates an internal void where all the vital forces of creation gather together. It is from this centre that equilibrium and harmony emanate. This is the very image of concentration or recentering of the self. By self-control, taking charge of one's own body, one becomes powerful without. The centre is also the vital point in the microcosm, by means of which the internal universe is created. The body is a universe, and by going into oneself and by incorporating the fundamental structures of the universe, the adept will gain access to the gates of heaven, the unique point where communication between heaven, earth and mankind can occur. The centre is the convergence of within and without, the contraction of chaos. It is the place which is no place, where all creation is born and dies. So those are examples from very early Taoism of the kinds of ideas and images that flowed into the secret of the Golden Flower text. A second major influence upon the secret of the Golden Flower is of course Buddhism, including its view on the centrality of meditation. There are numerous Buddhist sutras, that is aphorisms in Sanskrit literature, in the text of the book. However, Lu Yen, the presumed 8th century AD author of The Secret of the Golden Flower, had a faith in a, quote, fixed pole in the flight of phenomena, unquote, where the adept can attain eternal life, a thought absolutely foreign to Buddhism, which denies any substance in the ego. As one would expect, the I Ching, one of the most revered of Chinese ancient texts, also had a strong influence upon the secret of the golden flower. Eight basic trigrams, for example, are found in the text and are symbols referring to inner processes. Wilhelm, the translator into German in the 1920s, also suggests that Confucianism had its influence upon the book. Another influence is Christianity, specifically the Nestorian version. This holds that Christ had two loosely united natures, divine and human, whereas the Catholic version maintains that Christ had a single nature, his human nature being subsumed or absorbed into his divinity. Personally, I find the idea of a dual nature uh, for Christ, and therefore by implication for humanity, as very interesting. There are also many references in the text of the Secret of the Golden Flower to light and water, which are reminiscent of the Gospel of John as well as to the Christian sacraments, such as baptism. Light is the life of man, and the eye is the light of the body, 
are phrases from the secret of the golden flower. However, they could be from the New Testament. There are many more. Fifthly, Wilhelm suggests that its origins probably date back to the time of the Tao Te Ching, that is the 2nd and 3rd century BC, which is a fundamental text for both philosophical and religious Taoism. Sixthly, the Tang period of the 8th century AD, Lu Yen, already mentioned, founded a sect based upon the book, which at times received favour, while at other times it was persecuted. Seventhly, the 17th century, the book appears again, where it was printed on wooden tablets. And then, eighthly, the 1920s, where a thousand copies were published in China, and by this means came into the hands of Richard Wilhelm, who was in China as a missionary and sinologist at that time. The reason for its revival was the rekindling of interest in spiritual matters at this crisis point in Chinese history. Wilhelm suggests that there also existed a movement which took this writing of The Secret of the Golden Flower seriously and practised a form of yoga and meditation based upon it. Wilhelm comments, quote, The followers of this method achieved almost without exception decentral experience. Unquote. The central experience being the golden flower. For those of you who wish to listen to more information on this, you may return to earlier in this season two, that is to S2 episode 62, Taoism in Modern China. And for those of you who would like to hear a poem on the subject of the Yellow Emperor, a time of warfare in China, in where the Yellow Emperor sought his gnosis, his enlightenment, by seeking the sage Guanchensky in the mountains of western China, you may return to S2, episode 45, which is entitled Conflicts in the Collective and the Search for Mystical Truth. In those episodes, I mention the state of Taoism in modern China. Even in recent times, that is the 1990s, the power of these ideas and practices became evident. We have noted that the secret of the golden flower is closely allied to Qigong. Well, a variety of this, known as Falun Gong, emerged in China in the 1990s and enjoyed tremendous popular support. This was a period known as the Qigong boom. This Falun Gong is opposed to evolutionary thought, has a strong spiritual perspective, is against the dominance of the Chinese Communist Party. Unsurprisingly, the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party, after its initial permissive stance, began a severe persecution in 1999. Today, Taoism is under state control in China although it is given a little more freedom than other religions, which are closely monitored and controlled. I have little doubt that were China ever to be liberalised again, forms of Qigong would spring up once more in its ancestral homeland, and with it the secret of the golden flower. However, all is not lost, since, like Tibetan Buddhism, it has spread around the world, especially the West, which in the last 20 years has widely adopted meditation practices, yoga practices, qigong and the like.
and here we are talking about the secret of the golden flower and on January the 3rd some of us begin a meditation program of 100 days following the text of the secret of the golden flower. This is a free program. If you'd like to join us, please contact me. Now, what are the essential teachings of this text? The golden flower manifests as a transcendent light within us. It connects us to the essence, the one, or the universal intelligence that pervades the cosmos and is in ourselves. It is a secret because it cannot really be put into words at all, but it can be experienced. The celestial mind, where this light is experienced, is located in the sixth chakra, between the eyes in the brow. It can only be accessed when the normal, chattering, worrying, planning mind is perfectly quiet and not interfering. Then, like a golden flower, it opens. The meditation teachings help one in this. It requires the quietening of the everyday cognitive and emotional mind. It is as if we need to switch off the left hemisphere of the brain and allow the right hemisphere to be in freedom, be aware and stay with it. On the one hand, this is easy when it actually happens. On the other hand, it is hard because of the tremendous filtering power of the ordinary mind which blocks off the greater connectedness to the whole. There is no point in trying too hard, because then it won't work. One has to relax, yet be focused, be disciplined, but not rigid, to not try too hard, but to be firm in one's goal. This must not turn into another compulsive activity, which is a disturbance to the mind. One should do the practice every day, perhaps at the time of rising, when one is hopefully the freshest. One should create an area of calmness so that the distractions of the world do not interfere. One should battle against indolence and distraction. Yet it is a gentle practice. One should not expect results or wonders. One starts by concentrating on the breathing, nothing forced, but awareness is carried on the breath. One may begin by counting the breath so as to sink more deeply into this awareness. One is awake, although the eyes may well be closed. In fact, one is really very awake in one's inner world, but one is not paying attention to the distractions of the outer. One maintains and protects the centre. That is, one stays focused on awareness. This is called the backward flowing process, as opposed to the outward flowing process of the normal flow of consciousness. It is a returning to the higher self, away from the externalizations, which are the entanglements with the world. In contacting this centre, or primal spirit, with our inner awareness, one unites it with our earthly corporeal nature. This union of opposites is our true human nature, 
which was divided into at birth. The text suggests that those adepts that transcend these opposites do not stay in the normal three worlds, heaven, hell and earth, but only they who can envision human nature's original face are able to do this. That is to reach our original oneness, our true human nature, our original face. The text frequently mentions a circulation process whereby the chi or the vital energy of the subtle body flows backward to the centre. This circulation process, in my view, is best experienced by accompanying the meditation with qigong or a similar practice. The experience of the light and the energy of the subtle body will solidify when this is practised sufficiently. And with practice, one will eventually be able to do this exercise in difficult, noisy and otherwise distracting conditions. It is awareness of one's true centre. When the light is made to move in a circle, says the text, all the energies of heaven and earth, of light and dark, are crystallised. The slag of darkness is expelled and the experience of emptying takes place text says, in the middle of being there is non-being. It goes on to say that after the concentrated work of a hundred days, there is an experience of a different centre, that is in the middle of non-being, there is then again being, a body beyond the body. After prolonged meditation work, there is experienced a pole of light. One needs considerable sensitivity and intuition as well as tranquillity and absorption to reach this. The text advises to sit in a quiet room. Quote, the body like dry wood, the heart like cooled ashes. Unquote. That is, without desire and empty. Quieten the five senses and follow one's intuition. The ritual of meditation is not the goal, but the means. If the goal is reached, there are no words for it. Don't confuse words with the thing itself. One reaches the centre not by aiming at it, but by letting it unfold spontaneously, like the golden flower, by the process of letting the light flow. The centre in the midst of conditions as the text refers to it, is omnipresent and everything is within it, which is to say consciousness is the cosmos. It contains the whole process of creation. Human beings are in a struggle between two sides of their nature, their human nature, which has been split from birth. On the one hand, there is our awareness of the primal spirit as part of ourselves, Quote, it is that which we have received from the great emptiness, that which is identical in form with the primordial beginning. Unquote. On the other hand, there is the dark principle, which is the natural substance of consciousness in its materiality. It identifies with reproduction, matter, sensuality, food, and eventually death. This is the conscious spirit. Frequently it takes over and thinks it is the ruler of the psyche. 
However, when the primal spirit is strengthened, it takes command over the lower material consciousness. The intuitive and spiritual process of uniting means that the darkness is transformed by contact with the light. The method is to melt out the dark principle, so-called slag of darkness, a wonderful phrase of the text, to return to the creative, the light. This is done by the circulation of the light. In Jungian terms, this is melting out the darkness, that is, shadow work, and leads to the transformation of consciousness by an ambulatory or circular method around the centre. The experience of light and the golden flower is the true creative energy underlying all things. Individuals, the text says, who undertake this path realise the destiny of humanity. That's as much as I want to say for the moment on the secret of the golden flower. I remind you that you have three invitations in front of you for the new year from the quest. Firstly, the meditation program following the secret of the golden flower and starting very soon on January the 3rd, 2003. This runs for 100 days, has a number of Zoom meetings and every week you receive emails from me plus summaries of extracts from the secret of the golden flower text. It is a popular program and it is free. Secondly, the Quest lecture series beginning January the 28th and running for eight meetings across the year. The syllabus details were announced at the start of this episode and are also on my website. Thirdly, this podcast series takes a break in January and resumes February the 15th and will run monthly thereafter. The episodes this coming year will focus on the significance of the evolving world crisis, which, as is now well known, is increasing in intensity. The Quest series not only studies the world's great visionaries, but analyses and seeks visionary response to the crises of our times. I very much hope you can join me. Now, I wish to do something quite unusual. Since it's Christmas and the New Year... I wish to play a song, not my own, one composed and sung by Mark Dunn, who is a fellow psychotherapist and long-standing friend of mine. He does wonderful albums and songs under the general title The Bringers of Change. This is from the album called Centre, and this is the last track, and it is called the turning of the year. Everything is simple if we try. Let's look each other kindly in the eye. I will try to let bygones go by. Won't you help me when I'm high and dry? There's nothing more to fear There's friends and all good cheer We made it through another year Open your arms to me 
that's the turning of the I don't know Can we take the time to find a way Talking through the night into another day There's nothing more to fear No better place than here We've made it through another year Open your arms to me the turning of the year The winter nights grow long And the bitter wind blows cold My soul has grown so weary Of men with hearts so Mark Dunn with a wonderful song from the Bringers of Change. The turning of the year is the bringing of the light, the lengthening of the day in the Northern Hemisphere after its darkest point. I hope you can find your own light in the year to come. <laughs> 